podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Barcelona's Premier League podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Connell, and unfortunately, we do not have James in the podcast this week, uh, but we do have two very capable co-hosts, uh, Michael and Ronan. So this is going to be the last podcast before the international break next week, unfortunately. So uh, we won't be back for another couple of weeks. But look, we're here now and we're here to talk about the Premier League weekend just gone by. So to start with, I think we should confront the elephant in the room. I'm only ever on this podcast when United don't win. We've won Way. two games this season. That's pretty much every week anyway. We've won two games this season and I've missed the subsequent podcast on each of them. I've a lot of thoughts uh, on our most recent loss to Arsenal. Um, I'm going to try and get through them without crying. <laughs> uh, okay. Right. So I've got my notes here and I've got a lot of notes, but I've had to put stars beside the ones I want to talk about because there's too much to talk about. We'd be here all day if I described what went wrong. Right, I, I seen Roy Keane was given out after the game, given out about work ethic and letting Solskjaer down and whatever. But he, he didn't explain anything that went wrong. I can promise you, you're going to learn more about the game by listening to me. And I'm not a, a player who's won the Premier League several times. How does Roy Keane still have a job, lads, as a pundit? He's, he's God complex. He thinks because he won the Premier League 20 years ago, he knows everything. But he just he just makes a job of being a bollocks, really. He just All he does is go on there, not really say much about anything. He'll say, oh, that player played bad for stupid reasons. He'll never point out the things he does wrong. It'll always be like, oh, his work ethic wasn't great. Um, Obviously, you know, that, that clip that goes around about him giving a bit, a bit to Gea, he's like, oh, De Gea doesn't look as good as he was. But he's not He's not pointing out the things, like say, for example, there, he wasn't pointing out the things that De Gea was doing wrong. He wasn't pointing out his positioning or he wasn't even pointing out maybe De Gea wasn't pushing balls to the side. Maybe he was pushing them back into play. He was just saying, oh, De Gea's not the player. He doesn't care about United anymore. It's just, make a job off just awful football opinions. And especially over here, some people love that. People, Irish people in particular seem to look and go like, oh, uh, Roy Keane, he's a proper Irish footballer. He was a proper footballer back in his day. He wasn't like any of these new players. He's just, he knows his audience, I think. Very possibly. It's just really surface level opinions. Like if you listen to the Barcelona's Premier League podcast and maybe you hear possibly a surface level opinion here and there, that's probably understandable because we haven't played football at the highest level. But it's just disgraceful that he can go on and say absolutely nothing. And people say, oh, yeah, you know, he says it how it is. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say anything. He's He's a silly clown. He's a clown. You expect someone who's managing the game as well to at least have some opinion on tactics and the way players position themselves and all that. It's just nothing. It's just he gives out about players' worth ethic and whether or not they deserve to be united or something. It's impossible to listen to. He basically just says, why aren't you as good as I was? And that's it. Yeah, he, he, that's much. all he says. Okay. Well, Patrice Ever is a pretty bad pundit as well, but at least he seems nice. He did eat a raw chicken, or licked yeah, it at least, but at least it. he seems nice. Okay, He's right. He's as well. So the first important point I have is Arsenal's press. Arsenal's press was, to be fair, very, very good. The United couldn't get out in their own half. And it makes sense because a lot of teams will press United 
and it won't go well for them because we've got lots of fast players, lots of very technically good players in midfield, so we can pass through them pretty easily. So as a general rule, I wouldn't recommend pressing against United. But one thing Arsenal did that most teams don't do is pressed our defence, which absolutely makes sense because none of Aaron Wambasaka, Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw are particularly good under pressure. In fact, they're pretty bad, most of them. And so Arsenal's press, they really pinned us back into our own box and we really struggled to play through them. Uh, We played with the diamond in midfield in this game. It worked very well against RB Leipzig. It did not work well against Arsenal. And I think a huge deal, a huge reason for that is the fact that we didn't play Anthony Martial because he's suspended. Martial is by far our best striker at holding the ball up and being sort of, I wouldn't describe him as a target man, but he's definitely the most physical, the most sort of natural centre forward, apart from Edison Cavani, but he's not exactly up to match fitness yet. Uh, Rashford is far, far better on the half turn rather than holding the ball up. And the same to be said with Mason Greenwood. So he really had no out ball because we were playing without wingers. And that's maybe okay if you've, for example, Alex Telles, who's able to get up and down the line, very good going forward. But Luke Shaw can't do that. Uh, In general terms, I think Luke Shaw was pretty good, but that was mostly defensively. Another reason why we lost is Nemanja Matic coming on. Absolutely no idea why Solskjaer brought him on. Not what we needed at all. We needed someone to get on the ball, speed the play up. And Nemanja Matic absolutely does not do that. Um, He also brought off Bruno Fernandes, which to be fair, he didn't have a very good game. But to bring off Bruno Fernandes when we need our best player, easily our best attacking player, in a scenario where we need to get an equaliser. And when Arsenal are really sitting back, you know, understandable when they had the lead, to bring off Bruno Fernandes, who's so good in them tight spaces, absolutely appalling decision, especially when Paul Pogba was on the pitch and also, not only was he on the pitch and not playing well, he's playing as a left winger, which I've never seen him do before. He, he just doesn't have the pace to play as a winger. Technical he's a ability. bomb. He is Techn- a bomb. Technical ability, he, yes, but doesn't have the pace at all. <laughs> he's a bomb. Luke Shaw on set pieces. What? Reminds me of Phil Jones back in the day. Like, that's literally what he's worst at. Like, <laughs> he can't cross a ball. What's that? What's the story with Tellers? It's just not fair or anything because you'd assume he'd be playing. Coronavirus. Oh, right. Okay. And that I think makes he a bit more still sense. has it because he showed up to train and he, I think yesterday for 10 minutes and went home. So I think he still has it. Um, yeah, no. Usually, I would say so far this season that the blame was on the players, but I don't think it is. As much as Solskjaer got it absolutely right away to PSG, he got it very, very right against Leipzig last week. He got it very, very, very wrong this week. That's my mini rant over. I think a lot of the blame has to be put on the man, Paul Pogba. He's so bad. This season, he's just been very, very poor. He doesn't care. He doesn't track back. He loses the ball and it's other lads running after the ball for him. And then obviously he gave away the penalty. But when's he going to show his worth? He's been at United now a couple of seasons. He had, he's definitely had flashes, but he's, he's so much better with France. He's one that he's only good when he wants to be. And Paul Pogba in the opposition's half and Paul Pogba in his own half are two very different things. 
think he obviously gave away the penalty there. He nearly gave one away against Brighton in that incident that was overturned. Uh, if my memory calls correctly, um, he gave away the penalty in Euro 2016 against Ireland, uh, in last yeah, 16 yeah. against Shane Long, because he's he's all limbs. That's one of his huge advantages going forward because he can shield the ball. People can bounce off him. But in his own penalty box, it means he'll just fucking stick out a leg and give away a penalty. It, he's way too clumsy in his own box and Does way too better? casual on the ball in his own half. Do you think he'd be better off playing as number 10 then? Because he is very good going forward. And I know the year he first came back, was that under Mourinho? And Ebert was there as well. I, he was one of the best players in the league. So I don't know. Maybe it's, he's better just playing as number 10 or something like that. It's weird. Usually under Mourinho, for the first two seasons, he was basically in the same position as he is now, that creative midfielder. And he generally played it very, very well. You see for France, he plays that role. He plays it very, very well. So I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what's happened to him this season. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's a position he's played in before. Style of play, it just doesn't suit him. It's I, I honestly couldn't tell you. If he's going forward, he is better. It, it, maybe it's just the player that's playing behind him. I don't know who... who was it Matic was playing kind of the deep, kind of number six role back under Mourinho? Yes. Well, I suppose he wasn't that great either. Who's it playing at the minute, Fred or McTominay, is it? Well, on Sunday, it was Fred is the number six and then McTominay beside Pogba, which I thought was peculiar before kickoff. I would have had it the other way around, personally. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's just he needs a good number six in there. Well, I know Matic wasn't, isn't exactly brilliant, but he's at least somewhat consistent. Um, I know Fred's good, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said Fred's much of a defensive midfielder. I would have said he's kind of more box-to-box. I won't be playing him as your single number six. Then again, I haven't watched United as much as you, obviously, so you'd be in a better position to speak about that. But it was like, it was like we've touched upon before, but the Donny van der Beek signing, it's 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 really weird because he kind of plays the same role as Pogba and he, the two roles Donny van der Beek kind of played, you know, like Roy the Pogba's or Bruno Fernandes' role. And when you those two, you don't really need another player like that in there, but you know, you kind of struggle for that number six position. Or even United was struggling for a centre half, so it was kind of weird they went in forty million on him, but they didn't go and spend money on positions. They were kind of a lot more. They need players a lot more. And I know you can talk about squad depth and that, but you kind of want to make your first starting eleven as good as it is before spending money on that position again. Because they spent fifty, sixty million on Bruno Fernandez. Um, you kind of assume that 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 starting position covered, or that's that starting position selected for him for Ole at that stage. Um, I know it's kind of hard to justify going out and spending more money on a defender this year when he's been 80 million on Maguire last year but it's kind of off-field stuff as well it's kind of I think it's definitely affecting what's happening on the pitch I think Carl Anka put it on an article with The Athletic um, that Donny van de Beek he's like the winter coat that you buy in a summer sale <laughs> he's available then and after a couple of months you're like geez, why did I buy that coat but then when it comes to winter you're like ah yeah this is coming in handy now this was a good deal and I think that's probably a good way of putting Donny van der Beek. It's going to be a long season, especially because there's games every three or four days. He's probably going to start against Istanbul, Besiktas tomorrow or today when this is out, possibly one or two days ago, if you're listening to this a little bit later. Um, I think there's definitely a role for Donny van der Beek. And we're only a few games in. I think there's generally been an overreaction to how much he's playing. It'll be fine. 
someone's going to get injured, most likely, at least for a couple of weeks. Again, Pogba did not play well on Sunday, so we can afford to drop him now. Before, we absolutely couldn't afford to drop Pogba. Um, but again, going back to Pogba, on Wednesday against Leipzig, he played the same position, the same role as he did on Sunday, and he was brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant assist from Mason Greenwood for the goal, the first goal. Uh, he really applied himself well. Obviously, in that diamond formation, it was Pogba who was tasked to go out to the left when defending because of lack of width with that formation. He did that fine. But on Sunday, he just didn't seem to be in the mood. Okay, so I think we've spent long enough on that uh, mini rant, but um, it has to be, has to be said. I- I'm really looking forward... Well, looking forward, I'm a little bit scared to seeing how United react to that game because it really looked like we were coming into some form and we'd shaken off the cobwebs uh, you know, because we didn't have much of a preseason, even less than most teams. Um, and it looked like we'd kind of turned a corner. So I'm happy enough with the the idea that that was just a blip and we're going to be fine in the next few games. But we'll see how we respond. Okay, so going into the next game, again, you're, you two are Liverpool fans, so you'll be able to talk about this more so than I. But uh, Liverpool won 2-1 against West Ham this weekend. But... It started off with a slight scare 10 minutes in. Yeah, my man Pablo Fornals popped up with a goal. Uh, very sloppy from Joe Gomez. But apart from that, like, Liverpool were generally very good. I thought they were probably could have scored more. They had the goal ruled off for offside. And a uh, performance that I was very shocked but very impressed with was Daniel Phillips was making his Premier League debut. And he, he was winning every ball, every ball that came up in the air, header away. It was so impressive. You never would have thought that that was his first game in the Premier League, but he was so good. I was kind of sceptical when I saw him because I would have quite liked Reese Williams because in the couple of games he's played this season, he seemed quite solid. And then seeing Phillips on the the team sheet, it was a bit like, oh, Jay's club, what are you doing? But that's why he's a Liverpool manager and I'm not. He makes these good decisions and it paid off. Concerning thing is, no clean sheet again. Uh, Liverpool have conceded 14 goals this season, the most out of any team league. Although we did concede seven against Villa, uh, we still conceded 14 goals, and that's a lot in the space of those few games. It's slightly worrying, but uh, we're top of the table at the minute, so I can't really complain too much. Yeah, I think with the Nathaniel Phillips selection, I think it was kind of more just experience. I know Phillips hadn't ever played in the Premier League before, but he had played, I think he was a regular starter for Stuttgart when he was in the over there. And I know that was only Bundesliga 2, but I think Stuttgart got uh, promoted with him in the side. And even a few times he played in the FA Cup and that for Liverpool, he's always looked grand. Not on Reese Williams, right? I think Reese Williams has played very well against Meachland in Champions League week before that. He played pretty much most of the game. There was a funny thing actually was pointed out on commentary, was that since Klopp came in, Liverpool have had 36 different centre-hack partnerships. And none of them have been Matt and Gomez, which was bizarre to me. Um, well, Matt and Gomez had played together, but they'd never started together. Uh, Gomez, Matt back in training now, so you'd assume he'd probably get the nod once he's fully fish. Um, I don't know how long Fabinho's out for, but I think Brazil confirmed he's going to be out for the next international break. So I suppose at least it gives him a little bit more time to recover. Overall, very, very similar to the Sheffield game. Like Liverpool started quite slow um, I don't know what it is it's just maybe just teams are kind of set up more defensively against the bigger sides like Liverpool and that so you kind of have to work more 
But even against the last three games, it's been really, really slow. To start with Liverpool and then second half, they kind of pick up the pace. The passing's kind of a little bit quicker. Obviously, Shakiri and Jota made a big impact when they came on. Um, the big ones were the two VAR decisions that went against Liverpool. And I mean, we have to talk about VAR again. Um, to be honest, the penalty, I think it was soft, but it's hard to overturn it once you give it because there is a kick there from Masawaku. It was soft, but it was a penalty. Like, if that wasn't um, given, you'd be raging, but it was quite soft from Salah going down. Um, I think it's actually, if, if he doesn't give it first time, I don't think he gives it on VAR. But if he gives it on VAR, I don't think VAR are going to overturn it. It's one of those ones where it's soft enough where if it wasn't given, whatever, and then it's there's still enough contact there that if it is given, it's hard to say it was a clear and obvious error. Um, on the Jota first goal that was ruled out, um, I know a lot of people were angry online um, that people were saying, oh man, he went under Fabianski. Let's be real, you can't go in on the keeper like that. It's can't, You can't. Um, and in fairness, they didn't give it for the foul on Fabianski. Um, if you actually look at the replays, he comes through the back of Agbonna's leg and Agbonna was the one that kicked it out to Jota on the rebound. So I don't think there could be any complaints about that one. Um, other than that, defensively, other than that one mistake from Gomez, we look solid enough. Um, I know Fournette had another chance blocked by Robertson. But for the most part, we look sound enough defensively. Jota... Again, it's kind of bringing up that debate again. Should we drop Firmino for Jota? Yes. And maybe maybe play Salah or Manny through the middle. Um, I don't know if like overall for the long term we should do that, but definitely for a few games, just until Firmino kind of gets a little bit of confidence back, or maybe just maybe just not up the fitness. It's like I was having this conversation with someone there during the week. I think just preseason is just killing players because they don't the fitness isn't quite there yet. So I don't know. Yeah, that and the fact they're playing every three or four days. But um, I find myself watching the Liverpool game there and thinking 60 minutes in, 65 minutes in, they haven't got going at all here. But to be fair, they went up the gears and probably did enough to win the game. West Ham was another decent performance. Uh, I thought Arthur Matuaku was quite good. I thought Declan Rice was quite poor. Uh, Thomas Solcek, he's a really good player, isn't he? Yeah, he's class. Big fan of Thomas Solcek. He's quite a strange player. I think Mourinho said that Moyes has found his new Fellaini and that's probably the most comparable player because he's just such a threat in the air but he's far better on the ball than Marwan Fellaini far more composed and, but going back to Nat Phillips do you think it was really that good of a performance because he got man the match and I, I thought that was a bit generous do you think it's sort of that common uh, that sort of condescending commentary thing where it's like oh he's 18 years old and he's just passed the ball five yards remarkable from the young man or, or do you yeah, think it he, was that good? No, I did. I think it was overhyped. I do think he played very well. He was one of our better players. Um, to be honest, I thought probably Trent was probably the best player on the pitch. He was the best. He was the only one kind of creating anything going forward. Um, it was kind of the same against Michelin. He kind of stepped up. And I know Trent said that during the week as well. I know you can't really take much from comments on from players and that in press conferences and that because they're always going to try and say the right thing. Um, but he kind of said during the week that you know he's not he's not a young player anymore. Like a lot of people think of, but he's still young. He's still only twenty two. This is his fourth season in the Premier League, so he's highly experienced. I think that was his hundredth Premier League match, actually. So it's kind of you're kind of looking to players like that to step up and um, grab the game by the neck and bring it forward. Like Trent, being realistic, West Ham only ever had one or two chances where they hit us on the counter attack and play very well defensively, set up very well. And when they did get forward, they did threaten us. Um, but it was just that pushing forward kind of from Trent and. But Gini Wijnaldum, actually, sorry, changed that. Gini Wijnaldum was he, he's the best player on the pitch. Forgot about him. Um, he just kind of broke everything down, kind of 
when you got caught in tight spaces, kind of managed to get out, bring the ball forward. But that's not that to take away from Phillips' performance. It was a very good performance um, under pressure on a Premier League debut. Yeah, so elsewhere in the Premier League, Everton lost 2-1 to Newcastle. Do you think that the real Everton are starting to show? Or do you think it's just a slight blip? Jordan Pickford dropped. Uh, seemed a decent performance by Robin Olsen. Yeah, I just hope uh, Everton, they've been taken off that high horse now. Like, they're back to reality. Just a mid-table club. Obviously, Rodriguez and them, like, they're not going to be at that the whole season. Calvert-Loon is not going to be getting 40 goals a season, probably like the way he was going. A lot of fans would have thought that he'd be the man, like top scorer in the Premier League and all that, but I'm just glad that they lost. It's just heartwarming. <laughs> hate everything. I think it's, I think they have definitely improved, but it's it's a squad depth, um, particularly, because if you look at that game, they had to play like likes of Delph. Um, Delph, the backup, Left full was a nineteen year old, never played in the Premier League before. I think that they they're starting eleven is very good. I don't think anyone's gonna question that. And the midfield definitely looks like hugely improved. I mean, that could have been a lot worse for Evan there, because I know Allen went down injured um fairly air on the match, but he got up and continued. I think someone like Alan and Decorey are more important more so than Hamas Rodriguez. When Everton don't start with Charison or Rodriguez, I know um I know Charison is suspended. I think he's far more important to Everton than either Rodriguez or Calvert-Lewin because he's... He's such a hard worker. He's such a hard worker and the talent is there as well. He's, he does a lot more. He kind of brings the team forward a lot more. If you look at James Rodriguez, he's not really great on the ball and great pass to the ball, but it's kind of a Charleston who gets the ball in his own half and then drives the ball, drives the team forward. And not on top of that, he's also a really good finisher and I think they look extremely one-dimensional without him. Because when you have Hamas Rodriguez and Richardson in there, you can either play it out to Rodriguez and he can try and find that final ball, or you can give it to Richardson and he can kind of drive the team forward 20, 30 yards. I just I think, think I just think without Richardson, they're extremely one-dimensional. I think it's a little bit harsh to focus completely on Everton because I actually thought Newcastle were very good in this game. Newcastle, they're very basic, but they do have some quality because they're attacking players not always that great, but they're all really, really quick. They can absolutely uh, provide a threat to your back line. With Callum Wilson, he's lightning. Ryan Fraser, Alan St. Maximan is brilliant. I love St. Maximan. They've just got a lot of pace up there, and they kind of just play to that. They defend really deep, and when they get a chance to counter, they do so. And because they're so basic and pretty one-dimensional, it means that they're never going to do too well, but they've got a formula that seems to be working for them. Um, so so once could finish, he'd be one of the best players in the league. Yeah, so once they get their finishing consistent, they, they could definitely provide a threat to some teams this season. They're so a team that no one's really talked about either because they've actually they're eleven points after seven matches. The only teams they've lost are Brighton, which they played really bad in that match, and United. Uh, United, and they only they can see three goals in the last ten minutes against United. So even in that match, they were kind of. In it until the end. The only time I've actually seen them play really poorly was Brighton. I think it's and like it's like these these like these like funny conspiracy theories that people are coming out with football during the season. But like Newcastle never seem to win any matches, but they're always fine. They're always eleventh or twelfth in the league. Like I could, if, so, if you told me before the weekend that Newcastle had actually won a game this season, I'd be like, what? What? Because I, I don't remember. I don't remember their games that they've won. 
like even like getting draws against the likes of Wolves and that, it, it just it, it's kind of gone on the radar just a wee bit. I was convinced they'd at least be in the relegation battle this season because last year they finished decent, thirteenth uh, or 14th. But if you look at the expected points, absolutely rock bottom. The way I performed, and I was saying, yeah. yeah, Bruce, like they're just getting lucky here. And next season they're going to be found out. But with a couple of good additions like Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, St. Maxman looks a lot better this season already. The, that individual quality, they'll probably be okay. I think they were just statistically the luckiest team in the league last year because I think yeah. they had the lowest amount of shots to goal comparison, I think it was. Yeah. Something like that. And I think they had the lowest XG in the league as well. I know these are how people can talk about the meaning of XG in that. But they did. It's just when they get their chances, they seem to actually take them. Yeah, no, XG, it's it. It's the most objective way of sort of looking at it. And, you know, you get XG for and against, and then you get the expected points. And they should have finished bottom. They were really, really lucky last year. But as I said, they should be okay this year. So next match, I feel like we have to talk about, even if you don't want to, Ronan, is Fulham against West Brom. Fulham got a big win here at Craven Cottage. That will do their chances of staying up the world a good. But do you still think they have a chance or are they still absolutely dead? Yeah, Ronan, I'm so happy that Fulham got the win there. Scott Parker unnecessarily slandered on this podcast, tarnished his name. Then Fulham, all they did, they went and got the dub, take them out of the relegation zone uh, above West Brom now, and Sheffield and Burnley are still below them. But realistically, they they will be in the battle for relegation. No matter what happens, they're going to be in and around this conversation come May, maybe even down before then, but... uh, I was just so I was just happy. It was a win for society Absolutely. after Fulham got that win at the weekend, and it was just a rocket. The the first goal was a screamer. They were definitely listening to the podcast. Like we need we need to do this for Scott the gaffer. Fuck that Ronan fella. We're getting the win here. They played that Actually, TikTok no. uh, in the dress room before they walked out. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, right, looking at the West Brom kit, they probably deserve to lose for that kit alone. It's, it's fucking horrendous to look at. It's not a good combination of colours, is it? Yellow it's and red. It's terrible. What? Yeah, it's, it's not even... It's like yellow and like kind of like an orangish red. I don't know what it is. It's awful. Yeah, I didn't I watch it, though, because it was pay-per-view <laughs> and was not putting myself through extended highlights of Fulham versus West Brom. I don't care if the goals were good. Fuck that. Yeah, as you said, the unbelievable strike by Ola Aina on his weak foot and... I was watching the extended highlights because I, I do some research for this podcast on like Ronan and it, it really should have been 3-0 because there was a shot cleared off the line by I think Semi semi Ajay and it was ludicrous. It went to VAR. I don't know how they didn't give a penalty. His hand was it sort of it was close to his body to be fair but it was on the line and it hit his wrist like I have no idea how it wasn't given as a penalty. I doubt Fulham will care too much because it was a big win for them nonetheless. But I just thought that was peculiar. Look up that instant. Don't know how it wasn't a penalty. The best thing about Fulham in the league, Alexander Mitrovic is 26 years of age. What? Shocking. Surely not. <laughs> he is 26. He's been around forever. The man I, is I, 26. I could be convinced he was 26 when he's made his debut for Newcastle. Yeah. Nope. 16th of September, 1994. He's like, uh, 40. Like Thomas Muller doesn't age. Yeah. Thomas Muller gets younger. Benjamin Button. So elsewhere in the Premier League, I've made her talking point because I don't believe we've mentioned them on any episode of the podcast so far, just because 
of the way they are. But Burnley, Burnley have one point after six games. They lost 3-0 to Chelsea, which in isolation is understandable. But do you think Burnley fans should have anything to worry about this season? Yes, they are really poor. I watched them against Chelsea. I watched them against Spurs as well. If Ersi have had a difficult enough start, they're not great, are they? Like, really? I know that Chris would go forward, but defensively, they don't look anywhere near as solid. Maybe they'll be a little bit better once James Tarkovsky comes back. But Nick Pope's playing nowhere near as good as he did last year. And especially, I think last year, Liverpool had the most clean sheets in the league, but Nick Pope was the goalkeeper with the most clean sheets because Liverpool got some of those when Adrian was playing in the nets. I thought Nick Pope was really poor for the ZH goal. Um, I know he was kind of wrong foot, and maybe he was he was expecting, or maybe he saw it late. But the ZH shot was pretty much down the middle of the goal. They yeah. don't offer much going forward at all. There's no pace in that team either. Um, I know maybe Burnley have never really been the quickest of teams, but going forward, they've not really got anyone creative in midfield. I know they've got Dwight McNeil, who's a pretty promising young player. He seems to be quite decent. I know he was linked to it and moved to. Was it Spurs during the transfer window? Um, he's pretty good. I've seen him a few times. He looks like one of Burnley's better players already. And then Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes are good finishers up top. But it's actually getting the chances up front. They're not creating anything at all. I know Spurs and Chelsea probably aren't the best games to judge them off because Spurs and Chelsea are two of the bigger teams in the league. But one point after this many games, is it is worrying. And there's nothing there to suggest there's going to be massive improvements. But Sean Deitch, there's been a few times where Burnley looked like they were going to be down there. Even last year, I think they had a pretty poor start and then clawed it back. So maybe the Premier League experience and Sean Deitch will maybe pay off them and get back up. If it was going to be any team that could do it, I'd say it is Burnley after a start like that. You don't know. Yeah, you were on about their defence proving problematic. And I think that's going to happen when you're playing Kevin Long at the back every single game. He's been yeah, at Burnley for think, years. He's never really had a look in. And that's because he's not really that good. I've seen him play for Ireland a few times. And he's like Shane Duffy if he wasn't good at all. Because he's really <laughs> slow and just a lump. And just not at the Premier League level. At least not what, what? to be starting consistency. Watching Celtic at the minute. Shane Duffy isn't Shane Duffy if he's any good at all. Yeah, he's a colossus for Ireland though. <laughs> All at header, no, yeah, that's think, what he is. Yeah, I, I think Tarkovsky is supposed to be coming back soon, though, so that might help Bernie improve a little bit. No, the worrying thing is, Ronan, they're playing James Tarkovsky. He, he was back a couple oh. of weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, was he? Who's, <laughs> is it Ben? No, is it Ben, ben Mee that's injured, actually? Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's better than Kevin Long. Yeah, no doubt. It couldn't be much yeah. worse. He, he's not really cut out to be playing at the Premier League level every single week. An okay yeah, deputy for Burnley, but. And think he started every game this season, and it shows. No, I mean, ben, marquee, ben. I mean, their marquee signing this season was Dale Stevens. I don't <laughs> Such know a what Burnley ex- signing that. I, I don't know, know what they expect. I, if you told me at the start of the season that Dale Stevens had been in Burnley for the last 15 years, I would have believed you. I, Absolutely. I think it's starting to come back to bite them, the fact that they never sign any players. It's crazy. It's remarkable they're as good as they are without ever spending any money. I remember they signed Stephen DeFore there a few years ago and I was absolutely shocked because it was a non-English um, English or country. Irish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the foreign players are Irish or New Zealand in um, Chris Wood. Goodmanson. Goodmanson, oh yeah. yeah. That's it. Right, so moving on to next game. 
I said it was an interesting game at the end of last week's podcast, and it definitely proved to be that. Aston Villa at home to Southampton. It looked like Southampton were running away with it, a 4-0 up. But Aston Villa had a bit of a late rally. Got three goals back. Jack Grealish really came into his own at the end of that game. But having watched the game as a whole, I couldn't believe when Southampton were 4-0 up because they really weren't that impressive. They scored two free kicks. You can't really account for that, really. I I don't know when the last time James Ward-Prowse scored a free kick, never mind two. And then it was two set pieces. So they're really unfortunate to find themselves 4-0 down and they ended up nearly clawing it back. And I think a draw absolutely would have been a fair result. Aston Villa very hard done by. Uh, I wouldn't worry about Aston Villa based off this game. Uh, just coming on James Ward-Prowse, he's kind of one of these players that's kind of been about for quite a while. He's always been decent enough. But like he's that's his kind of level, kind of mid to lower Premier League table. I think he's got four goals already this season and he's always kind of been decent enough on dead balls. I know he hasn't scored a free kick recently, but he has scored quite a few in the Premier League. I wouldn't be surprised if he's up there for... He scored more free kicks than Letizia. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's up there for current... Uh, in terms of players currently playing in the Premier League for most free kicks scored. Like that with Villa, main defence. I know it was two set pieces and uh, two free kicks, but the defence is kind of their main problem. Uh, they don't... They look fine going forward. I know we've touched upon it loads. Um, they look fine going forward. Like Ollie Watkins, Grand Greedish is one of the better creative midfielders or creative attackers in the league. Um, so yeah, just based off that, you wouldn't be too worried as a Villa fan. Yeah, so the last game we're going to be talking about from the weekend just gone by in what was a pretty entertaining weekend of Premier League action was Leicester's rout of Leeds. Uh, on the podcast last week, I predicted a 3-0 win. Ronan predicted a 3-0 win. I think James said three, no 2-0. Mixer said 3-1. So we really weren't giving Leeds much of a chance. And I looked at those predictions before the game and I thought that was a bit harsh, uh, but it ended up being that way. Um, Leicester's quality really came through. For the first goal, Robin Knox error. Absolutely shocking. Poor, really poor touch. Then a very bad back pass. Jamie Vardy latched onto it because he's Jamie Vardy, and squared it to Harvey Barnes, and it was 1-0, and it was basically game over from there. Yuri Tielemans was unbelievable. He's an absolutely brilliant player. He scored two goals, and a pretty comfortable win leads coming back to earth after a good start in the Premier League. Yeah, I think Tielemans is probably one of the most underrated players in the league. I think everybody rates him, but like nobody talks about just how good he is. I suppose he's kind of most comparable to the likes of Genie Wijnaldum, um, probably a better player than mine, I think. Uh, but it's kind of the kind of box to box. It's kind of gonna when the, when it's kind of a tough game, he's gonna get stuck in. He's gonna he's able to drive the team forward and that through the midfield. To Harvey Barnes is brilliant again. I know I'm probably his biggest fan on this podcast, but I think he's he's really really good. Um, scored the first, created the second. Um, I know it was Vardy's header rebounded to Tielemans, but I think it's just. Leeds kind of played that little bit of a high line there against Leicester and you're going to get punished playing the likes of Leicester because it's really easy for them to get in behind with the likes of Barnes and Vardy. I actually switched off after the third goal so I didn't really get a look at Madison. But yeah, overall just a good performance. I don't even think Leeds played that bad. I don't think maybe Leicester warranted a three-goal victory. I thought Leeds actually looked pretty good going forward and they had a few chances they probably should have scored. I think they hit the bar at 2-1 down as well so like... Like that, if they scored that, it's a completely different game. But I think once Leicester get the third goal, it's kind of that's game over. 
no way to come back from that. It's kind of be a good start for Cengiz under as well because that's two games in a row now he's got an assist. So that's another good option for Leicester to have off the bench. You have to say, I'm really impressed with Tielevins. Like he said, quite young, but he, he's so much experience for a young player. Like he played a load of games for Monaco and now he's fit right in that a Leicester squad. Yeah, no, Leicester have a really good start to the season. Uh, they've got five wins and two losses. And I kind of thought they'd come down to earth a little bit because they overachieved last season, even if they did end up bottling top four. But they've got still quite a thin squad. But, you know, Brendan Rodgers, he's actually doing a brilliant job. And, and people talk yeah. about Pep Guardiola sort of, you know, joke about him bringing passing football to England like it didn't exist before. But in actual serious sense, I think Brendan Rodgers has to take a lot of credit for sort of this new era of sort of possession-based football in the Premier League because his Swansea team was really the first team I remember being impressed by growing up as being a possession-based team, even if they weren't very good. Remember Leon Britton at the base of that midfield? Yeah, Britton, Joe Allen. Um, yeah. The, the Welsh Avi. Yeah, Sigurdsson even, that even, season for them. Yeah, even when he was at Liverpool, I know Liverpool maybe weren't that great under Brendan Rodgers as a whole, but even the year we finished second, defensively we were awful. But in possession, Liverpool were, I think Liverpool scored over 100 goals that year as well. They did, so like yeah. In possession, it's maybe defensively his teams aren't set up as well, but Leicester even looked that poor at the back. And they definitely got a better defence than Liverpool did when Liverpool finished second that year, because I think we were playing Glenn Johnson, Skirtle, Daniel Agger and... John Flanagan. John <laughs> Flanagan. Um, who was playing left back? John Flanagan. Flanagan was playing left back. Yeah. Yes. Fuck. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that's probably why we can see it over fifty goals that year. Um, <laughs> the goat. Um, there's just anything though. We kind of look at the teams that are actually top six squad depth. I mean, if you look, if Vardy gets injured, you've got Josie Perez, who's a good footballer, but he's nowhere near as good as Jamie Vardy. Or he's not going to get the same mid goals as Jamie Vardy. Um, if they get injuries in mid midfield. I don't really know who else they have there. I think I don't think Indeedy's playing at the minute. Uh, I think it's Mendy's playing ahead of Indeedy because I think he's injured or something. If they get defense, if they get injuries in defense, I know they've got who do they start to make? So you want to and Johnny Evans, oh, Wesley Johnny Fofana Evans. as well. Wesley Fofana. Um, actually, Evans Evans is out injured at the minute actually as well. So that's another thing is if they keep fish, they're going to challenge for top four. But it's just where that squad depth, especially with them playing in Europe this year as well. They might struggle a little bit more uh, towards the end of the season to keep up the pace. So I think that just roundabout uh, covers all the action from the weekend just come by. So we're going to move on to the predictions. In the prediction league, prediction game that we have going on, uh, myself, Ronan and Michael, all the three men on the podcast today, we got the exact same. We all have three points. So it's still Ronan bottom on 15. I'm on 17. Michael's on 19. But James this week got eight points. He got two... <laughs> Predictions correct, he said. He got the Liverpool West Ham game right. He said 2 1 uh, Liverpool. Yeah, so he said 2 1 to Liverpool, and I can't quite recall the last game, but he got two games. Was, it, Fulham, was it the Fulham result he got right? Yes, it was. Yes, because he said uh, for Scott Parker. So purely because of your rant, not only was it absolutely heinous, it actually caused James to get another correct result. Stand so by said. Thanks, Ronan. Stand by what I said. So you shouldn't. Moving on to <laughs> no. the moving on to the games for next week. We're going to be predicting it's Everton against United at half twelve on the Saturday, and it's it's so difficult to 
predict this one because I, I was confident last week ahead of the Arsenal game. And that was, we recorded that before United won 5 0 against Leipzig. I was confident. I thought we would turn a corner and think about it now. I'm, go- I'm going to stick with it. I think this week was a blip. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say a decent 2 1 win to United. I don't know how confident I am with that, though. I don't know, one all. They're both in poor form at the minute, and Everton still won't have Richardson back. Yeah, I would agree with uh, Connell in the sense that United are probably just going through a bad run of form. Oh, I said bad run of form. One bad game. Uh, so I'm going to go with a 2 0 uh, United win. So the next game, massive game, I think it's fair to say. I don't think you can undersell us. City at home to Liverpool. Again, another weird one to predict because City's form has been. They're 10th. Indifferent, it's fair to say. They've played a game of less, to be fair, but it's, I don't know, they haven't really got going yet. Liverpool, although they're top of the league, so you can't really complain with that, have definitely shown more cracks at the start of the season. Again, it's hard to say many bad things about them because, look, they're top of the league. They've still won five out of seven games. But at the Etihad, I don't think Liverpool have a particularly good history there in recent seasons. So I'm going to back a 1-0 City win. Again, I don't really know what that, that's based of. I know this is this is poor punditry, but just well, we've lost, it's in me waters, 1-0 City. I think we've lost our last three league games. Um, we lost our last four league games at the Yeti had. Mm, um, maybe that's the picture I have in my head. Yeah, because I think we I think it was the 5-0. There was two 5 nils in there, because I remember there was the one yeah. man he got sent off as well. That and then between one. that, there was... Uh, was it 2-1 loss as well? There's the 2-1, yeah. yeah, the one we bought Sane. in January. Yeah. yeah, Sane and Aguero. Maybe that's three losses in a row. I know we beat them in the Champions League, but Liverpool and the Champions League are kind of a different story. Look, without fans there, I don't think Liverpool are going to... I think the fans do make a big difference. Um, I know last year you can't really read too much into 5-0 because of our game right after we won the league and I don't think anybody was not hung over. But I still don't really fancy Liverpool playing at the end, especially without fans, because I think Liverpool fans make more noise and kind of get on the back team a little bit more. So I think I'm going to go for a maybe a little bit of a outside shout, but a three-one City one. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I'm not a man for going against my own team, but I I sense a Man City win here. I just think Pep will have the the boys firing. They'll be ready going into this game like Liverpool and City the two dominant teams the last couple of seasons in the league yeah sorry sorry Klopp and the boys but uh, going 3-0 City it's kind of it's, it's kind of a must win already for City because if they lose I mean if they if they win or even if they draw they're two points behind us with a game in hand but I think if they win we could move seven or eight points clear of them already which I know they probably still have a game in hand, but that's not a points difference you're going to want to make up. I know, obviously, you've got a long, long way to go in the season, but that's already a big disadvantage. That's probably where they lost the league last year. So they kind of fell off so early in the in the year. So they'll kind of want to avoid... They, they'll know how big a game this is, especially after Poorly did last year. And even last year, they weren't that bad. They still got something like 84, 85 points. Yeah, so we don't have James's predictions in yet, but certainly the three of us on the podcast have all predicted against Liverpool, which means they're going to win. Yeah, so I've, I've learned from my lesson over the last couple of years. That somebody has to stop them. They can't get, keep getting away with this. So moving on to the next game. Two good footballing teams. Arsenal home to Aston Villa. 
Um, I've had it up to here with Arsenal between them beating Dundalk and United. They're in my nightmares over the last week or so. But uh, Aston Villa, again, it's weird. I'm predicting to lose this game. So that's going to be three losses in a row. But I still quite like Aston Villa. I think it's just because of expectations. I thought they'd go down. But um, yeah, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Arsenal win because going forward, they still haven't really clicked. Defensively, they can be a bit dodgy. Villa look okay going forward, but they'll do just enough to win this, especially at home. 2-1 Arsenal. Going 4-1 Arsenal. I think Aubameyang's going to actually start playing football again because I know he's got a penalty the weekend, but he's still not actually firing on cylinders. I like a team that is defensively as that aren't very good defensively. I think it's a good side for Arsenal to try and score a few goals against. So yeah, I I do think Aston Villa are still quite overhyped. They're still good. They'll stay up, but you know, I'm going for three loss on the bench for Villa. I'm going two two in this game. That is all I have. Okay, so good result for Villa at the Emirates. Fair enough. <laughs> so going on to the fourth game of five, it's Leicester at home to Wolves. It's quite a hard game to call, I think. I think in general on the podcast, I've been pretty harsh on Leicester. Maybe I'm just wrong about them. As I said, they're doing better than I thought they would have this season. And Wolves, I haven't really been that impressed by. I think especially without Jota, he's a hard player to replace. Mac Doherty's very difficult to replace. They haven't really clicked. And they're looking that bit more uninspirational this season. Last year, you knew Jimenez was coming at you. He's still there. But without Jota, I don't know if he's as good. When you're for going to Molyneux, or even at home, you knew you were getting a tough game against Wolves. And I don't think that's really the case this season. So I'm going to have to give Leicester their juice. I'm going to say 2-0 Leicester win at the King Power. I think I'm just going to go 2-0 Leicester as well, just to be safe. I know that yeah. means nothing, to, especially if it does end up 2-0, we both get three points. But Sherlock at Leicester look like a better team overall. Uh, I don't think Wolves have been overly impressive in any of their games, really. Even the 2 at the start of the season to Sheffield. They scored two goals early on and they didn't really do much after that. And then they dropped points. They didn't look convincing against Leeds and they got one nil victory. And got hammered by West Ham as well. Only drew against Newcastle, so he's Leicester a better side. But this is the thing. You don't you don't put your money on a team for weeks and then when they start doing well, you're like, Oh, they'll probably definitely win and then they'll end up losing something like three or four nil. So I don't know, two nil Leicester. I'd agree with you is that uh, I'll go with a Leicester win also, but I sent some goals in this one. 3-2 Leicester. So uh, same sort of um, predictions for all of us going for a Leicester win, but uh, I'm going to be a bit out there, take a leaf out of James's big. For all I know, he's going to go and say 5-0 Wolves, and for all we know, that's going to happen because he's been winning. He's winning, and we can't stop him. He's unstoppable, and it's not fair, but... I'm going 3-2 in this one. So then moving on to the last game, usually when I'm predicting... Don't know what happened there. I'll cut that out. Usually when I'm pre- choosing games to predict for the podcast, I kind of go with the most interesting ones. But to throw a span in the works, I've thrown a really boring game. Brighton against Burnley at the MX. 1-1. This won't be a good game. We're going another rant, lads. <laughs> Please don't. Get the bleep ready. <laughs> no. I have to edit this. No, I don't I don't hate these two as much because they're not anywhere near as their existence in the Premier League doesn't offend me. Either it's just disrespectful having West Brom and Fulham in the league. It's both just just about to go off again there. <laughs> um Yeah. 
any of these teams between shit teams is just going to go shit nil all draw. Statement. <laughs> <laughs> it's just standard at this stage. I'm I'm not going to watch this game. Just saying it now because it's going to be absolutely <laughs> we this next week. So uh, yeah. we're going uh, nil nil. This it's going to be the worst game ever. Odds on this being like seven five. What's on pay per view no, or something? Not going to happen. Nil <laughs> nil. James will predict uh, seven five and get it right. Yeah, probably. <laughs> right. So I think that just about wraps up the podcast. Unfortunately, we won't have a podcast next week because it's the international break, which means a break for the Bar Soolers as well. But when we return in two weeks' time with the usual Premier League podcast, as far as I know, we're going to have a guest on. I'm not going to say who that guest is because we might have to reschedule or something might happen. But as far as I know, we've got a guest pencil in. It's a brilliant guest. If you're in any way interested in Irish football and Irish players in the Premier League, absolutely tune in to next episode as well, because it's going to be a really good interview. It may or may not be Cristiano Ronaldo. We can't confirm. Just don't give it away. Or Just saying that Presidential <laughs> candidate Joe Biden. <laughs> or, or, or president by that stage. He could be. At the minute, yeah. he's presidential well, candidate. Well, be president-elect, it wouldn't be. I don't think they're into... Well, ah, we're not making this a politics... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, tune in the international break to Barcelona's politics. And we're going to have a higher burn on. Okay, but seriously. So what are your I thoughts think... on Leo's comments, lads? <laughs> uh, don't get me started. Right. So I think that just about wraps up the podcast. Again, thanks very much for listening. We surpassed 60 subscribers on the YouTube. As I say every week, we've been really happy with the feedback and support we've gotten so far. So please do like, subscribe, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. to keep this going. Give us that motivation to keep going. Uh, But as I said, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you in two weeks time. Network.